For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idly all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorched heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Awesome. Thank you guys for, for singing and worshiping uh, with me leading. I, I haven't led music in an, over two years. I, um, I had a, actually had an issue with my throat where I couldn't sing. And so I just had a surgery two months ago. And that's the first time I've gotten to lead um, any sort of music in two years. So that was, I know it's kind of like the last minute thing. But I was secretly like super excited to be able um, to play with you guys. Um, and before we dive into to the, the passage this morning, I want to just give a, a couple words as an outside voice. In planting a church, um, we planted Imago Day in Downey five years ago. And it's just super helpful occasionally to have someone from the outside come in and just give a word of kind of, uh, which I'll, I'll get to in the, in the scriptures, but just to speak into what's happening here uh, as an outside voice to help kind of lay that foundation of what is, is going on. And I was thinking as I was pulling double duty here this morning, when we started the church, there were like three or four times where I had to do that uh, back in the day. And we, had, we started the church with no real worship leaders. Uh, my wife uh, would play, but she was also doing kids and doing everything because she was my wife and she's awesome. Um, and so it reminds me, this right here reminds me of the early days of the church we started, and so it's really precious to me in that. And so just a quick word to that, though. You guys, if you don't know this, you are in the early days of Gospel City Church, okay? This, this is it. You know, is it Andy Bernard in the office? Like, I wish someone would tell us we're in the good old days, right? Like, you're in them, right? This is, you are in the early days of Gospel City. And to that, if I could just speak something to you on that, um, don't despise the early days and also don't idolize the early days, all right? Don't despise and don't idolize these early days. Despise would be, you'd be like, what is this guy? He's coming up here like leading a mediocre guitar player and preaching and it's like all, and then we're in the backyard and this is whack. And you know what? Honestly, in some ways it is, right? Like, like it, in some ways this is like, uh, it, it's, it's little, it's not impressive, it's, um, and there's a lack of, uh, there, there's more gifting to be shared 
right, in the broader body of Christ that we're seeing present, and, and we're missing that. And it's okay to say that. But don't despise it, because there is life here. And I know if you're here, you've tasted that already. There is real, genuine life that is growing and bearing fruit, and it's beautiful. But then the flip side of that is also don't idolize. So don't despise, but also don't idolize. Remember the backyard. <laughs> There's kind of a, a purity and a grit, right, that's happening back here. Um, and, and if you idolize it, it actually becomes really difficult for anyone else to ever participate and, and become a part of it. And, and you'll be like, oh, we're getting too produced. We have three instruments now. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> no, like, we're okay, right? And so uh, don't despise and don't idolize. More, there's life here. Don't despise it. Don't idolize it. More people need to get in on it, okay? And so um, you are in the early days, your foundation laying. To that, I'm, I'm going to take a break from 1 Samuel, and I'm going to try and help lay that foundation for you guys, for this church. And so I just want to speak actually on the concept of generosity. And, and I'm here to tell you that there is not a version of Gospel City Church that lives up to its name where generosity is not just like coursing through your veins. There is not a version of Gospel City Church that actually lives up to that name of Gospel City where generosity doesn't characterize, isn't like so tangible and present in the life of this church. Generosity, as I'll, I'll unfold for you, generosity and the gospel go hand in hand because generosity is the fruit of a gospel culture. Now, real quick, when I say generosity, my guess is most of you think money, right? That's like the first thing when we talk generosity, we normally think money. And I'm actually not going to say anything at all about money today whatsoever. So actually, let me say something about money right now. <laughs> like before we get into the passage, before we get into that, because there's also just as a church plant, right? Um, you guys are, are a seed starting, breaking through, bringing life. And so sometimes you, you just need to be taught. Right? You just need to be told. And that's why I'm here too. I'm, I take it upon myself. Nick didn't ask me to do this. I'm just saying, hey, I'm here. Let me just say this. If you call Gospel, Gospel City your community, if you call Gospel City your home, right, and you are invested in the planting of this church, just literally you need to give money <laughs> to help get this thing off the ground. It doesn't have to be much. It doesn't have to be a lot. But what you can give, give. Uh, as you guys get ready to, to launch out of the backyard in the future, right? Um, I don't know if that's in the family meeting or not. I don't, again, I don't have, like Nick and I did not talk on this. I'm like looking at him like, is it okay to say things? Um, uh, finances are just one of the key ways that you steward the, the life that is happening here and, and that God has even woven it so that it, it pushes the mission forward in that way. Just straight up, being planted in Southern California is costly. Okay? It's costly. And so it takes a group of committed people who regularly, sacrificially, and generously give in order for that to happen. And if that doesn't happen, Gospel City will not happen. And that's not like a, a guilt trip or a, no, and as I'll, we'll stop talking about money, but as you'll see, this idea of generosity, this idea of, of giving, of participating, of, of jumping in, that's woven into the gospel message. So 
let's, let's, let's dive in. I think the reason why when I say generosity, we think money instead of gospel <laughs> is that we actually have a distorted view of the gospel. So again, if we're gospel city, uh, we need to make sure we get the gospel right. Um, and and part of the reason we have a distorted view of the gospel is that we have distorted views of God. And these distorted views of the gospel and these distorted views of God, they do not come right away. You might have what we would call orthodox theology, but, but there's a kind of a creep that happens in our hearts over time, an erosion, uh, if we're not careful and diligent to, to guard that and say, who is God? What is his nature? What is his character? And how does that flesh out into our world? I, uh, I had a Monday during COVID, right? It was probably one of the first four months of COVID. We, I was working from home. And I did nothing that day. I was terribly, I was working from home, and I was terribly unmotivated. Uh, I would say that I was distracted, but I, I found distractions. Like, it, was, it wasn't it was that distractions found me. Like, I sought them out. Um, I just kind of sat in, we kind of made up an office in our bedroom, and I just kind of, like, rotated between the chair and my bed, <laughs> you know, uh, throughout the day. And... Um, and even like time with Jesus, like I didn't really take time with Jesus. I felt really unmotivated all day. It's kind of a heaviness over everything. And then, and then it was dinner time. It's five o'clock. We have five kids, and um, I love my kids. I gotta say that it's Father's Day, right? You know, um, I do. And uh, I, I was like, I gotta be with them now. You know, I gotta, I gotta put work away, the work that I didn't do, and, and go be with, be with the kids. And then I, I. I had a, I was tired from being tired. You ever been that way? And so there's this kind of, I'm washing my hands for dinner. And as I'm washing my hands, I'm, I'm going through this cycle in my mind, this sort of weird combo of self-pity. Or I'm just like, dude, I'm just so tired. COVID's so tough. I'm just struggling. And I'm just kind of like walking through like all the things of like, no one appreciates all that you do. You know, it's like you need rest, right? And, and, then, and then also self-pity, but then also self-loathing at the same time is the other voice of just like, dude, you're a loser. Like you did nothing today. If anyone was like, watch what you did, they would not follow you as a leader. Like you were just wasting away a perfectly good day. And it wasn't really even rest because you were just on social media and YouTube videos and taking, like, it's just like it wasn't proper. And the last thing is I had this meeting that I was supposed to, that I had later that night that I was supposed to prep for. And of course, I didn't. And so I'm sitting there washing my hands and I'm like, well, I'm going to have to wing it, <laughs> which is somewhat within my skill set. I don't know if I should admit that on a camera. But that only added to my, like, self-loathing of just like, dude, you are, a, like, uh, you are a loser. And so I'm sitting there washing my hands for dinner, just running through the, the waste of a day. And this is somewhat of a vulnerable thing to share, but I also don't think it's that vulnerable because we all went through COVID. And I think probably everyone had at least one day <laughs> like this. Wash my hands. And God brought this parable that we just read to mind. And as I've just been sitting with that, I've been like wanting anywhere I get a chance uh, to bring this uh, to people, to churches, uh, as a word of encouragement and hope and to reshape our minds. So here's how the story goes. If you have Matthew 20 open. 
Let's read it again together. It says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, now a denarius is a, a full day's wage. Some of your Bibles have a footnote there. So it's whatever. The going rate for like, here's, here's what a full day's worth of work is worth. That's what they received, right? He, he agrees with them and he sent them into his vineyard. They start working. Verse three. And going out about the third hour, so that's three hours later, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So three hours later, he goes back. That word idle does not mean lazy. Uh, that word idle just means simply like they were waiting for work, okay? And so he finds these people that are waiting for work, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard, this is verse four, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So he says, whatever is right. There's no agreement like in verse 2. In verse 2, he says, I will give you a denarius, uh, a full day's work, a full day's wage, right? This time, he doesn't say a denarius. He says, whatever is right. He promises to pay them a fair wage. It's already three hours into the day. They, they think they've already missed their opportunity at work, and so they're they're pumped to have an opportunity to bring something home for their family. So they say, yeah, sure, goes in. Verse 5, so they went. Coming out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. Every three hours, he repeats until finally, verse 6, about the 11th hour. That is the final hour of the day. At the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idly all day? What? Literally, he's saying, why are you not working? And they said to him in verse 7, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the, the vineyard too. He hires them for literally just one hour of work. And when evening came, verse eight, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So they begin to pay the most recent hires, they pay first and they get in a line. All right, And so uh, in verse 9, when those hired about the 11th hour, that is for one hour, came, each of them received a denarius. That is a full day's wage, even though they had only worked for one hour. And, and the foreman goes down the line, paying each of them a denarius. Now, verse 10. These are the ones that were hired at the beginning of the day. When those hired first came they thought they would receive more. After all, these guys worked one hour. They received a full day's wage. They worked 12 hours. And certainly, what? That's only fair, right? That's only fair. But verse 11, and on, I'm sorry, verse 10 at the end of it, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. 
They grumbled, saying, hey, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. We did the hot work in the sun. They came at closing time, and we got the same amount of money. What is up with that? And the master replies in verse 13 and 14. He says this, friend, bro, I'm doing you no wrong. <laughs> did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. More or less he's saying, were you not happy to work for that amount at the beginning of the day? Were you not excited that you didn't have to wait all day in the marketplace? When you woke up this morning, you were hoping to get work. You were hoping to get a denarius. And when we made that agreement, you were pumped. And now all of a sudden, what's changed? Why are you angry? What's up with that? And the story builds to this series of questions he asks in verse 15, where he says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or, here's the key question, do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my gen generosity? Jesus, Jesus is getting right to the heart of the issue. He's saying, are you envious that I bless others? And this is a really key and interesting question that gets at the heart of some of our own distortions because when we start talking generosity in abstract, I think very few people on the surface of it, have anything against generosity. We'd all like to receive some, right? So no one's like, generosity, that's bad. We're like, hey, generosity, that's good. Like, maybe I might come up on something, right? Or, or you imagine yourself, maybe you are wealthy. I don't know. I imagine myself wealthy and, and being the type of person we wish rich people were towards us. <laughs> you know, like the, the person who picks up the tab every single time, Right? who sends gifts, like, I don't know, just like all those sorts of things. Hey, that's what I would do if I had money, right? I'd buy them a house. And you're over here like, it's so hard to buy a house. Like, what's... And so here's what happens. When we talk about generosity, I think a lot of what, a, what we mean, without even thinking about it, is a lot of what we mean is we say, hey, I'd like the scales to be balanced. We don't really want generosity. We want wealth dis distribution, Right? And really underneath that is we want what we think we deserve. We want what we think we deserve. Hey, I work hard. I do my best. Wish someone would see that, recognize that. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, it does not work like that. And here's where we are tempted to begrudge, that is to... to be envious of, to be angry at the generosity of God. Because in the economy of God, there is no equal wealth distribution. Because it's all his. <laughs> all glory, all honor, all power, all fame, all worship, all service due to him. It's all God's. And so as we want things and we try and get things, it's not as much that we want generosity, it's we want to be God. And the owner of the vineyard 
in this parable, in this story that Jesus tells, the owner of the vineyard represents God and he does not pay out according to what people deserve. And he's asking, he's saying, does that strike you as unfair? Does that strike you as unjust? Especially for those of you who labor, for those of you here who are accomplished, does God's generosity in this story in any way frustrate you? He asks this key question. He says, am I not free to do what I choose with what belongs to me? I choose to give to the last worker. You're not the owner. I get to do what I want. Does that bother you? God's generosity is an act of his sovereign grace. He says, I choose. And it's completely independent of what you bring to the table. Now, to that, he promises justice, right? So just kind of like as an aside, he will not act unjustly. A day's wage for a day's labor. But that doesn't stop him from operating in generosity and mercy, but when we see God's generosity towards others, there's this jealousy that's incited, and this happens in your life all the time, right? Uh, every time someone younger than you got married or gets married, there's a little bit of like, hey, wait a second. Someone less gifted than you gets the opportunity. Or just like very bluntly, you're at work, like someone dumber than you gets the raise, right? When, when you meet someone that you're like, you're not as smart as me. How do you make more money than I do? Right? There's something in us that kind of is like, how does this work? There's an unfairness to this story. People getting what they don't deserve. And as you read this, that strikes us as, hey, something's off here. People should get what they deserve. But Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of heaven is fundamentally n- is it's not a place that runs on the currency of people getting what they deserve. That's what he's teaching here. Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of heaven fundamentally is not a place that runs on the currency of people getting what they deserve. When you say, God, you owe me, you are now on really dangerous ground. Because what does God truly owe you? God does not owe you anything. And if you demand what you deserve, that's actually judgment. And the good news that Jesus is teaching, that he's calling us to see, the good news is that God has not dealt with you according to what you deserve. He instead has dealt with us according to what Jesus has deserved. Jesus is the true one who has labored, who has borne the, the, the heats and the work of the day, and we share in his reward. Jesus is the only one who truly and justly has claim on the glory and honor of God. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus took what we deserve on the cross so that we might share in what he deserves. It's all his. And the good news is that God is generous. So it's all his, but he gives us to share in his glory. Not ours to demand, but his to dispense. He crowns you and I with glory and honor. Not that we deserve, but that he generously, from his own character, from his sovereignty, I choose to bless. The currency of the gospel, I should say, the currency of the kingdom is generosity. 
So the kingdom of God, if you just want to think about like economics, right? The, the, in the kingdom of God, what kind of economic system does it run on? It does not run on an economy of getting what you deserve. It runs on an economy of generosity where everything belongs to one person. And he freely, from his own heart, shares and gives. And very practically, what this then means is you are forming a community and a church is it means that there are no rankings in the kingdom of God because no one can claim deserved membership in it and others not. There is no place for personal pride in a community, for contempt or jealousy of what another person has or the blessings in their life. As you guys grow as a, as a community, as a family, that those temptations are very real. When someone gets pregnant and you're trying to, when someone gets the job and you're still unemployed, there is no place for contempt or jealousy. There is no ground to question how this generous God handles the undeserving. He is good. Don't begrudge generosity. Don't demand that you get what you deserve. Instead, here's the call for you, church, as you are being shaped, is it's to be a community that celebrates generosity. If you boil this parable, this teaching, down to just its essence, Jesus is teaching that the kingdom of heaven is like a man who gives the best to the least deserving. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who gives the best to the least deserving. Verse 16, so the last will be first and the first last. That's the kingdom of God. God is generous. That's the heart of the story. And so then the question as you read this is, is who are you? And the answer to that is, if we have an honest look at our lives, is this, is that you are the last hour worker. You are the last hour worker. I was thinking about doing like with this parable, like some of us are the ones that have been, we're, we're the self-righteous and we've worked all day. And some of us are, you know, the rebels and we're the last. No, we're all last hour workers. <laughs> Every one of us. The one without hope. You think about the, the, the day worker. He, he lives uh, on, on that day's wage. Like whatever he gets, that's what he feeds the family. It's, it's, he, there's no stability to that. And so that person, if they've gone the whole day without work, they are without hope, they are hungry, they are needy, they are uh, on the outside. And you are the one without hope, going home empty-handed, who God finds and offers and blesses. And this is where the distortion creeps in. There is a lie that we believe that says God will only deal with me on the basis of my performance and devotion. God will always and only deal with me on the basis of my performance and devotion. And, and that is the default way that we think of God and ourselves, and yet it is so off. And I want you just to kind of just sit with this, and I want you to think about how frustrating it is when someone thinks they know you, but they don't, right? Right? Someone like does like the Enneagram or a Myers-Briggs and like, oh, you're a seven. And you're like, well, maybe, but like that, you don't get to like just like, you like think you know me, right? 
And, and we do this with, with God all the time where we think we, we, we act as if we know him and we are actually operating in a, dis, in a distortion. And here are these people, they think they understand the situation, but they don't. And we do this to God in the danger of church and why we need to lay a foundation and why I'm here is to say we, we can create a community. It's not just that we get the doctrine right. That'd be my fear is that we could get the doctrine right. I guess it's a gospel of grace, but yet not have a culture of generosity. Because you can create a community and cultures and you can create a church. You can live in a world where performance and deserving are the currency. And you compare yourself to others and you either boast, I did what was right, or we look at all the cookie cutter people who do everything the right way and they're able to do it all and you're frustrated and you're hopeless and you're angry because of course their life is great. But I'm left on the side, angry, frustrated, hopeless. Holding all that together, I, I returned that moment. I was washing my hands. I'm just going through that thing. I just said, I'm a loser. I'm, fa- I'm a fake leader. I'm just lazy. And, and as I'm listening to that voice, as I'm washing my hands, this, this voice of self-loathing and hatred, be, because I believe somewhere in my heart in the idea that the, the currency is getting what you deserve, and because... Let's not lie. Those things are true. I was lazy. There's, you don't even think, no, no, I was lazy. Okay? So because I, there's this thing within me that says you get what you deserve, and because it's true, as I'm hearing this voice in my head, I imagine that that is the voice of God. But Jesus here, he teaches something different. Jesus teaches that the voice of God is the one that says, the day is not yet done. I have something still to give. Will you come even now? I was thinking of all the ways I would had wasted my day. And as this parable was brought to mind, it was, it was as if God were saying, don't you think I can redeem this day even now? Do I not want to bless you even now? Can't I give you something in this last hour that would renew and reshape and, and, and give life? And for me, as I'm sitting there washing my hands, it's already wasted. It's already gone, uh, keeping in the economic stuff. It's a sunk cost fallacy, right? Where I'm saying, like, it's done. I want to, Maybe you've been here where you've sinned, you've wasted, you've gone away, and you said, okay, that's already there. That's just who I am now. That's already who I am. You slide and give in, and God says, no, I have something for you. And listen, not just a little bit, like, okay, here's a little treat, right? No, I am generous. God's blessing for your life is not based on your productivity. It is freely given, and church, the day is not yet done. That's the, that's the hope that we have in the gospel. That's the, the word of God. The day is not yet done. If you have breath in your lungs, the day is not yet done. And for you who are frustrated, you've wasted a year of your life right, with COVID. Maybe you didn't waste it. It happened to you. But even beyond that, as you've watched, some of you have watched life pass you by. And as you are considering your life, you are not in the place that you wish you were. 
You, you, as you dreamed forward your life, you are three steps behind what you thought you would be. You're uncertain maybe of even where you want to go. And I want you to see God's generosity, that his ability to pour out in one instant and bless and overflow just in complete, not, not in accordance with what you deserve, but just in accordance with his heart. To make up for lost time more deeply than you could ask or imagine. And with, at the risk of, of being a prosperity gospel preacher, I mean that in terms of, of marriage and in work and in friendship. Some of you are, are, are single and you're getting older and you're thinking it just passed you by. And don't you think that God can provide for you a spouse? In a moment, a job, friendship. But, but more than that, more than those things, he renews his presence in your life overwhelms you with his grace and love. Some of you are just have been caught in religious cycles thinking you get what you deserve and you haven't done enough and you're just, the day is passing you by and you feel more distant from God, not closer. And, and I want to say, look, you don't need to work and earn and get yourself back into a certain place where you can receive, but rather the day is not yet done. He, he can fill and bless you in a moment stretch your capacity to, to have his presence in your life greater than you ever thought imaginable and work in your life in such a powerful and profound way that you would have never even considered. That is not something that you wasted because at 18 you made a mistake. That is something that he can do right now. He can change and shape you to be a leader, to be used, your giftings, to make an impact in this world. He can do that in you in a moment. He, it doesn't matter where you are right now. His ability to bless is greater. God has told us who he is. He's generous, and the day is not yet done. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who gives his best to the least deserving. What's really interesting in this story, as you read through it and you understand the, the, the master of the house is a, uh, analogous uh, to God, right? So God is the owner in the story. And, and he repeatedly goes into the marketplace to find workers. And the, the wrong takeaway on this is that he's just like a really bad project manager. <laughs> like, did you not know how much work was going to happen today? Like, you were just seriously not prepared, right? No, it's, it's actually this. It's that he's looking out for the day workers. That's the parable. That's, that's the idea here. It's not that he's like, oh man, we need more workers today. It's that he's looking out for the day workers. This is the lower class of society. They're hoping to catch some work to provide for their families. And he doesn't just, this is key, he doesn't just send his foreman out. His foreman is the one who pays, right? But in the parable, the, the foreman doesn't get sent out. Hey, can you go find me some more workers for the day? No, he personally goes out continuously throughout the day. Who needs to be cared for? And maybe some of them were lazy. They slept in. They missed that first shift. Maybe some of them weren't skilled. He's looking for some vineyard work. I'm like, ah, man, I don't know how to do vineyards. You know, I don't know. that'd be me. I'd be like, I just, I, I know how to do one thing. I can talk behind a microphone. Like, I don't 
I don't know how to do much beyond that, right? But what drives the owner is not their skill, it's not their promptness, it's compassion. It's mercy. Who needs to be cared for? Who still doesn't have work? It's grace, it's generosity. And this is what God has done in Christ. He came into the world to seek, to provide, to care for, to save, to renew and reclaim, to find you and bless you. And so generosity, as we think about this concept, it's not something that you do from time to time when you have the means, I can sow a little extra gift. It's, it's a posture, a way of living your life. It's woven into the very fabric of the kingdom of God. And church, we are called to be generous, not as an act of charity or a signal of our virtue, but just like, I don't really plainly, that's just what the kingdom of God runs on that we treat other people. Let's take it out of the realm of finances. We treat each other not on the basis of what people deserve. We respond, uh, we, we look out for those who are needy. Who's not here? Who still needs? And this is why I said there's no version of Gospel City that does not operate in generosity. It's not holding on to whether it's, it's your budget or whether it's your time or whether it's your heart and holding it back and saying, okay, let's see if this is worth it. But instead understands the grace that has been given to you, uh, the very character and heart of God that he's looking out for, seeking those who are far and providing and blessing. And when you withhold generosity, because they don't deserve it, or when you delay generosity because you're like, I'm not sure that I have enough, you're living in a different story and you are now operating in a distorted version of the gospel and a distorted version of who God is. And our kingdom centers around a God who owns everything and gives his very best, that is his very self, to the least deserving, you and me. And the last shall be first. For the kingdom of God runs on the currency of generosity. Let me pray for us. God, would you sow that into our hearts and would you shape this community by that? And even just very personally, God, I've had it heavy in my heart to share this message because there are, in every community, there are those who, who are left on the outside. There are, are some of us here today, God, who feel like the, the day has passed them by. That they've somehow missed out and they are not enough. And there are in our midst some who are lazy. And there are those in our midst, some who are not skilled. And you call us, let's be clear, out of laziness, and you call us and you give us gifts to be used. 
But your love for us, your provision for us is not based on our performance. And so God, would you cause in us a celebration of generosity, not to begrudge and not to withhold it, not to say, I want what I deserve because I think I'm better than. No, no, God, would you cause us to be the desperate ones who celebrate the God who has everything and is generously a giver. And would we respond and live our lives the same, that we can do away with things because we know you provide for us, you care for us, you seek us out. And when we have nothing and it feels like the day is over, you still find us and pour out more blessing than we ever could imagine. Would you encourage us, God, that the day is not yet done. You will use us. You will bless us. You are good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.